0: You are listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Turn into your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, this verse that Paul says about the gospel and how awesome the gospel is. And we are kind of in this habit of, of not putting the scripture up on the, up on the board to encourage. Uh, force would be too strong of a word, but to encourage you to to turn to the text in your own hands, whether it's electronic Bible, those are cool, or an actual paper Bible. Anybody prefer the actual paper Bible like me? Okay, good. I thought I was just getting old. And I was like, man, I'd rather have the paper in front of me than the, than the iPhone app. But the iPhone app um, is just as good. Same words. Um, so... We're in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, and it says this. You, you may have heard this verse before. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that, that Greek word there, epigelion, is this this idea of good news, is how it's sometimes translated. And sometimes we just say, oh, gospel, and we think, oh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And yes, of course, that is the good news. But the, the bigger idea is the, the story of God, the story of how God works, and the, the good news that Jesus... Is God, and he came to this earth, and he gave his life, and so paul 's not ashamed of that, which we shouldn 't be either, and he says, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, for in the gospel uh, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, and so I like that verse in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And so as we think about, consider scripture, and how the, the scriptures contain a lot of good news about Jesus, a lot of g- great news about how salvation works, I think we should just be open to that, how, just this high thought of how, how awesome scripture is. And then he goes on to say, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And so let's open this morning in prayer. And so God, we tell you that, um, we, we are here, we are ready and willing to, to learn, to consider things. God, would you specifically speak to us today about Scripture and, and the good news that is therein? And God, speak to us about the canon, this rule of these books that have been placed before us as believers here today. And God, we thank you for them. We thank you for your words, your, your sacred text, this book we call the Bible. And God, we love you and we praise you this morning. And everybody screamed, amen. Um, So we're talking about the Apocrypha. Did you know that walking in here? So you you might be a little like, what? We're talking about the what? Mm -hmm. Y'all don't believe in those books, do you? He's like, well, no. Um, We we don't hold them as scripture like some other, uh, like the Catholic Church does. But we, we, a long time ago, picked this topic out because... A, it just seems interesting and, and mysterious and cool, and, and B, to kind of dispel a lot of myths maybe that are about the Apocrypha. And I want to open up with this idea that when you don't know about something, you're often afraid of it, and you maybe polarize it, and you're like, oh, the Apocrypha isn't that evil, isn't that satanic? I mean, you could look up there and be like, oh, isn't that the pentagram on the Apocrypha? And, and I think i, I, I made this joke last week, and it's like, would you just count the number of points? Penta means five. How many do you see up there? Six. It's the Star of David, not the satanic pentagram. Anyways, so the Apocrypha is not this satanic book. It's, it's a book of uh, the Old Testament scriptures that were left out of the Apocrypha, and then we're going to go on to explore this bigger definition of little a Apocrypha, and I'll explain that in a little while. But this idea that I just wanted to begin with was that just how kind of big, big idea of how education works, that if you don't know about something, your tendency is to polarize it and be like, oh, it's either awesome or it's evil. Um, and, and in some ways, that's good. Like, if you don't know too much about a scorpion, it's probably good to be afraid of a scorpion, don't you think? You're like, I'm not going to go cuddle with that thing. It's, it'll attack me or something. But on the other other hand, like something totally safe, uh, like the speaker, like if you don't know what it is, you could be like, oh, there's, there's demons in there, and if I touch it, something's going to come out and kill me. Well, that might be true, but it, it might just be a speaker. Um, and so with that is this, this idea that these crossroads of knowledge and maybe ignorance in how we can, we can be afraid of something like the Apocrypha. And maybe some of you came in here with preconceived ideas, or someone had told you, oh, the Apocrypha, that's evil, that's bad, it's horrible. It's, it's what those Catholics believe in. And you're like, ooh, ooh, it must be scary and horrible. It's like, no, let's, let's, let's bring to the table a little bit of education so that, we, so that we can know at least what it is. And my hope for this whole month, by the way, if you're listening to me right now, my hope is that we can actually learn something about our canon. And by canon, I mean the, the rule, the standard, the books that are in the Bible by studying the books that are not in the Bible. Here's a quick uh, analogy. Hopefully it'll, it'll make sense. Uh, and, and so here's a picture of my sweet car. Isn't that a sweet car? Some people like Ferraris. I like 1990 Ford Escorts. That's my car. Um, and and behind it's my sweet house. So anyways, I got this car. I'm kind of proud of my car in a weird way because it's, it's not a nice car, obviously, but it's, it was my very first car and I got it in 1996 and it's been my first car and my only car really. Um, and so it's still like I drive it every day. And when I first got the car, I knew nothing about cars and I was, I was so nervous. I had saved up all my money, bought this car, paid cash and, um, was so nervous that I was going to break it or uh, that the engine was going to blow up and it was going to cost more to fix than the car is worth, which is easy to do with old kind of trashy cars. So I was really nervous. I remember in the glove compartment was this button, this yellow button inside my glove compartment. And I was so nervous about pushing it. I was like, what could this button be? I don't know what it is. I probably just shouldn't push it because it could be in my head. I was just like, it could be anything. It could be like a fuel shutoff valve or something. And, And so if I push the button, then the, the car would be running, but it would be running without gas, and that could be bad, and so the car would blow up. So really, in my head, I'm like, oh, this little little yellow button in the glove compartment is a self-destruct button for my car. It's just, you know, these thoughts you have as a, as a as a 16-year-old, you know, getting a car. And so it's just like, it's silly, but it was, I just, I'm not going to touch it. I'm not going to take the chance. And as the years progressed, um, Uh, I I did eventually touch the button and the trunk opened. so I was like, oh, duh, I guess that makes sense. It's not a self, who would put a self-destruct button in the glove compartment? Oh, you put a trunk button in the glove compartment, got it. So anyways, so I learned about that. I learned how to change my own oil. Anybody ever change their own oil? Oh, sweet. Lots of girls are raising their hands. Cool. Um, that's, that's cool. So I learned to change my oil, which is this big, long process that I had to learn. Knew nothing. I had to borrow tools. Um, then, then my starter went out. I had to fix my starter. And as I began to learn about cars, it's been years now. I got the car in 1996. So what does that make it? Um, 16 years between now and then? Math is hard, huh? <laughs> Anyways, uh, we'll just say 16 years. Unless I'm wrong, you could yell out the right answer. So 16 years between now and then. And I've learned a lot about this particular car. I'm by no means a mechanic or uh, studying mechanics stuff. I know Michelle, she's... She's learning this stuff. She will be an outstanding mechanic and really know her stuff, but I'm just kind of a tinker around and fix it as, as it goes. And so this summer, I was tinkering around and reading books and, and decided I need to uh, just pull the engine out of my car and rebuild it. So I ended up doing that. Uh, and there's there's the engine, and there's Jay in the background. And um, so, so I say all this to, to say I've come a long way with my knowledge of cars and thinking about like being scared to push the little yellow button in my glove compartment to pulling the engine and doing a complete rebuild by myself. And, and so I think that I've, I've learned the difference between true dangers and, and things that are not dangerous to do and to think about when, when it comes to car work. Because there are things that are dangerous. So, you know, if you put a car in a jack and crawl under it, it could fall on you. If you open your radiator and the engine's really hot, the, the liquid could blow up and, and burn you. Um, the batteries have been known to blow up. There's just random things that are dangerous about working on a car's. Um, and said things like pushing a yellow button in your glove compartment that is not dangerous. And so all that to say, and hopefully that, 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 that analogy doesn't distract from the point, all that to say that I think in the same way, the Apocrypha, when we, when we consider it and study it and, and bring education uh, to, to, about the Apocrypha to ourselves, we, we can know what the dangers are, if any, and we can know what these books are about. We can, we can maybe not embrace them, but we could receive education about it. Me and my friend uh, Heath uh, Gordon were on my porch talking. He's a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor, and we were talking just about the difference between educating ourselves. And embracing something, and so what I what I don't what I'm not saying in here is that we should embrace the apocrypha, these books that were left out of the canon of Scripture, but the Catholics believe in, or little a apocryphal books, these books that were written in the first century or in the or the, the ancient Jewish world, that we oh we should embrace those and, and and love them and 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 whatever. No, I'm not saying embrace them. I'm not saying learn from them as if they're Scripture. But I'm saying let's educate ourselves about them. And, and that, I wanted to make that distinction clear before we go. On. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. If you're new, we, we don't try to embarrass you and make you raise your hand or uh, anything. We, we do have a card. It looks like this uh, on most of the tables, and if you want, you can fill that out. Um, and you could bring it to me, or a, as you leave Sunday School, there should be people at the back. We do have a CD. It's like a, a welcome sermon and some songs for you as a, as a gift to give you. Um, but welcome to the Mill Sunday School. We are kind of a, a smaller group of the Mill on a Friday night. And the mill on a Friday night is our main ministry. So if you've never been to that, you should check it out sometime. 7 o'clock on Fridays, it's more of a service. Sunday school is more of a um, kind of a teaching, it's more like Sunday school. Like we, we, we don't have a worship. Uh, like music at, at this portion, but we, we, we dig deep into topics that you might not otherwise dig deep into. And it's kind of nerdy. So I'm gonna put up this screen again that today and all this month is a nerd alert. Like the the topic we're talking about here... Is full of history and names you've probably never heard about and, and big concepts and ideas of how we got scripture and the story of the church and uh, church history. So it is very nerdy. So if you need extra coffee this morning, feel free to go get extra coffee to keep your mind awake because this stuff is nerdy. And at the end of today's lesson, you're just like, man, he just, he just talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah. That's what nerds do. We, we study a lot of stuff. And so being a nerd is a good thing. Nerd alert. Also, another alert that I thought, maybe I should mention this, and that is a, a new Christian warning. Like, if you're a new Christian, like this guy, hey, Sunday school, Jesus, man. Anybody? The, the YouTube video? It's, it's an old clip of an old movie that this guy's like a new Christian or something. I don't know. And he says, Jesus, man. And that somebody took that clip and made a YouTube video out of it. It's got like a billion hits or something ridiculous. So anyways, if you're a new Christian, how many of you, I hope to not embarrass you, but you would say, I've been a Christian less than two years. Anybody? A couple hands. Okay, good. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's awesome that, that you're a new Christian and you're coming to the Mill Sunday School. But in some ways, this this Sunday School in general, and specifically this month's topic, is not like an intro to Christianity. We are talking about something very specific and something you probably wouldn't study otherwise. And so just be, maybe not warned, like, ooh, scary, but be warned. That, like the, We're going to raise some pretty big questions this month. We are going to talk about how we got Scripture. And so um, just, just kind of a, a general warning for w- where we're going. So, Enough of me talking. Um, How about we do a quick discussion question? Get into uh, small groups. If if your group is less than two or three, then you, you as a group can go join another group and just introduce yourselves and sit down. It's a pretty easy discussion question, hopefully. And there's three by five cards on your tables. And what I would love for you to do is just, what questions do you have about the apocryphal books, not in the Bible. Write down a few questions you have. And so you could do it individually or as a table. I would love for you to talk about, oh, I have a question about this. And then, oh yeah, I also have a question about that. Write them down. You're going to end up turning them in so that I can have an idea of of the questions you have. But take a second and you could write one or more questions on one three by five card or have a question per card. But I'll give you a couple minutes to do that. Ready, get set, discuss. All right, if you're, um, I'm probably cutting you short, um, but as you, as, if you already have some that are written down, would you pass them awkwardly because you're at tables and not in rows? Pass them to the front. Maybe some of our leaders could help uh, gather the, the questions. Bring them up here. I'll, I'll read some of them. Um, I won't answer any of them. I don't think. Thank you. All right, this first one says, Joe, why are you so awesome and Cool. <laughs> Just kidding. It doesn't say that. Um, what does it teach? Great question. What do, what are what is in the Apocrypha? Uh, how do they pick the books? I imagine a lot of your questions will be about like, what what caused them to pick these and not those. Book of Enoch is in there. Um, why did the Catholics accept it? Who determined it? One more. Sweet. It's a good one. How many uh, deciding members were there to, to decide the canon? How were they found? Are the Dead Sea Scrolls apocryphal? Um, why were they removed? How many were removed? Where do you get the information that no one believes about the books of Enoch? Uh, good question. Another Enoch question. Uh, the, what, what makes them apocryphal? how do they decide what goes into the canon, um, and more and more. So I'll read these, and if you have questions as we're talking, hopefully there's, there's more three-by-five cards around. You can uh, write down your questions, and then after Sunday school, bring them up, and we'll put them with the pile and go through these. We still have three more weeks uh, of studying this month, but this, I think, will be good for me to hear your questions so that we can, we can study the book. We had three, four questions about Ena. Enoch, excuse me. So we will talk about who Enoch was and what his book was about. So, a quick review. And if you were here last week, um, this might be a very short bore fest because this will be old news to you. But if you weren't here and would like to know more about this, we do podcast at the Mill Sunday School. Uh, last week's is already up. So let's do a quick review. And this is a very important distinction. Um, Apocrypha and Apocrypha. What's the difference? Do you see it? Smiley and little a. Um, The big A refers to a proper noun. Like my name, Joe, would be capitalized. So the J would be capitalized because it's a proper noun. Just like A, the big A at Apocrypha there, it's an actual list of actual books. Whereas the little a is just a general list of Apocryphal books. (coughs) So what do we mean by that? Well, I'll tell you in a second. And if you were here last week, you already know the answer to this. But some of you are asking me, okay, just give me a list. Like, I would like to know, is there a list anywhere of apocryphal books? Yes, there is. Um, and some of you actually came forward last week and said, can you give me like a website or something? So just for fun, here's two websites with uh, mainly apocryphal big A and Apocrypha little a books, and I'll, I'll tell you the difference there in a second. Um, and if you look at both of these sites, earlychristianwritings.com, which is mainly the New Testament, Little A Apocrypha, and the Pseudepigrapha, which is mainly Old Testament, Little A and Big A Apocryphal books, um, I think if you counted all them, maybe somebody should do this for fun, um, but I just glanced at it and counted about 250 apocryphal, big A, and little A books. So it's like, what books, books are in the Bible? What books were left out? Well, we'd have to list like 250 of them. And, and the question, why weren't they um, included? Well, we'd have to give 250 answers for each one of these books, which is, well, might blow you away and might overwhelm you. So um, let, let's just talk about this bigger idea and explain what I was supposed to explain first, which is the big A, the apocrypha big A, is the list of bi- list of books in the Catholic Bible? So it's these. So I have up here my Saint Joseph's edition because um, I used to be uh, I was raised Catholic and so got this Bible um, as a reward for some perfect attendance at a Sunday school in my Catholic church. Um, and if you look at the the the. Um, What's that called? This is the index for all the books that are in the Bible. You will see Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1st 2nd Samuel, 1st St. Kings, 1st St. Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah. What comes after Nehemiah? Yeah, but in this one it says, Tobit, Judith, then Esther then 1st and 2nd Maccabees, then Job, then Psalms, then Proverbs. and it ha- So it has these books, these seven extra books in the Catholic Bible that are not in our Bible. So this is the big A apocryphal books. So if you see the proper name Apocrypha and you're talking to a Catholic, these are the books they are specifically talking about. And there's a few more. Um, these ones, uh, Book of Esther additions, Letter of Jeremiah, which is an addition to Baruch, but we don't have Baruch anyways. And then these three uh, chapters of Daniel, the prayer, Susanna, and Bell and the Dragon, are chapters 13, 14, and 15 of a Catholic Bible that are not in um, the Protestant Bible. And, and so it's this question, well... Well, why were they left out? Well, each one of them has their own reason. Uh, Generally speaking, you could say there's questions. There is doubt (coughs) about their sacredness. There are Jewish, um, the the Jewish Bible, um, Jews living today do not include these books into their Bible. So in some ways, it's like, well, if they didn't include them, and and we received the Old Testament from them, well then why do we include them? Uh, And so that is a cause for question that does question their, are they sacred? Are they not sacred? Many of them were written later and in Greek, not Hebrew. Um, And so there's just questions about their sacredness. So I think just generally speaking, um, we as Protestants are like, well, if there's question about it, why put it into the canon? If there's questions, let's keep it out. Whereas the Catholics, they tend to say, well, it, they, they could be sacred, and the Catholics do recognize that they are deuterocanonical, and I'll explain that word in a second. And so it's like, well, if they could be sacred, well, then let's keep them in, in the canon. Whereas we as Protestants, I think, I think we're right. I mean, we're Protestants, so it's hard to say that we are right. But um, I think that the idea of, like, let's keep what is holy and sacred holy and sacred, and if there's question about it, well, let's take it out. Easy. let's let's err on the side of safety instead of uh flippancy when it comes to canon and scripture and what is holy so that's the big a apocrypha and this is reviewed from last week then there's a the little a Apocrypha which is this just i don't I, I want to give you a definition but it's so general that it, that it's it's kind of not even worth giving a definition but it's like any book that is Written around first, second, third century A.D. that was about Christianity or written by a Christian could be apocryphal. Uh, any book that anyone in the ancient Jewish world wrote could technically be apocryphal, because it's like, oh, well, maybe this says something about God. It's like, oh, well, it sure does. So let's just say um, it's a part of this little a list of apocryphal books, which I, I already told you on those two websites, found 250 books that are apocryphal. And this might help here, this distinction. If you look up on the, the board, it says non-canonical and deuterocanonical. Non-canonical is no one ever thought these, these books were scripture. Um, they, they were just they were just like, oh, it's writings of, of somebody, but we'll keep it for entertainment. And then there's deuterocanonical, which is maybe, oh, this this is secondary to Scripture. This is uh, books that are questionable about their if they're sacred or not. So we'll keep them around as secondary to Scripture. Or they teach us maybe like what happened during the intertestamental period. And so it's like, oh, well, it's not sacred, but it's, it shows insight into what happened. So we'll keep them around as secondary to... To scripture, so that's a little a apocrypha, and I thought of this analogy, and, and it may just uh, confuse you, but I thought, okay, what if in two thousand years, um, archaeologists, archeolo- yeah, uh, go into your house and they find your library, and you're a Christian, and so you have books in your library, and you're reading the Bible, and maybe you have some anybody have some C.S. Lewis books, anybody have some Bonhoeffer books, anybody have some. Uh, uh, A.W. Tozer books. And so you have this little library, and then on the end of your bookshelf, you have the Twilight series. And you're like, ooh. And so it's like, why are you reading the Twilight series? Well, if you're reading it, you're just reading it for fun, and and it's, you're obviously not reading it for Scripture, right? It's just like, duh. And so... um in 2,000 years from now, archaeologists find your room, find your little library, and, and no, they didn't, you, let's say the internet, let's say there's like a meteor that blows up the earth and it's like covers the earth, and then some people live. This is a horrible example, sorry, kind of rambling. Um, so there's no internet, there's no, the only record of Christianity from, from right now is your bedroom's library that some archaeologists dug up. Okay, are you with me? So they, they could say in 2,000 years, oh, the Christians in 2011, they, they thought the Bible was sacred, and C.S. Lewis was sacred, and Bonhoeffer was sacred, and then they thought the Twilight series, that was sacred to them. And we were like, no, dummies, like we just had the books because they were fun to read. Anybody reading the Twilight series? Okay, there's only like three people, so maybe a bad example, um, which is probably good. I, I don't, anyway, the movies are horrible. <clears throat> Can't imagine the books are any better. Um, anyways, I'm rambling. Please forgive me, um, but hopefully you get the point that, that just because the books were around doesn't mean the pe- the people in the ancient world even thought that they were sacred. Maybe they just liked books. Maybe they either were reading them for history or just for fun. We don't know on some of these. And to answer the question why aren't these books in the canon, that question would have to be answered for every single book individually. And we will do some of that in here with a couple weeks we have left. But um, here's some examples. Uh, three for each. These these three books never thought to be ca- ca- canon or scripture. Gospel of Judas, the Acts of Peter, which we'll talk about in just a second, the Gospel of Mary. Um, the Gospel of Judas is very questionable. I mean, if we know the story of Judas, he's the same guy that, uh, that uh, betrayed Jesus and then went out and killed himself. He didn't have time to write a gospel, according to our version of the story. But supposedly he did. And, and the, the where, but he didn't, um, And so this book came much later. This book, uh, you can look up the date of it. I think it's around 100 or 200 A.D. So it was written much later. And it was like, it was as if Judas wrote it. And some people, some scholars think that maybe Jewish people that hated Christians, like, wrote this book and then started circulating it to make the Christians look bad or to confuse them. That that's a possible... um, origin of this particular book. Uh, Gospel of Mary, it's it's a Gnostic book. It's someone that was semi-Christian, maybe like a hippie, heretical Christian, that was really into the secret knowledge. It was like, ooh, maybe Jesus told Mary a secret uh, about spirituality. And so that's what this particular book is about, written much later. I mean, like the book of Mark, that's like 50, 55, Is maybe some people are saying, the earliest we had this book in our hands. 55 AD. That's just you know within the, the very lifetime of of the people that saw Jesus die and then resurrect, whereas the Gospel of Mary, written maybe a hundred or more years after. So it's just clearly no one thinks this is scripture or holy or sacred. And then there's books that are deuterocanonical, that that some churches have have kept in their canon uh, for whatever reason, and it's it's secondary to Scripture for them. Like the Book of Enoch. I guess the Egyptian Coptic church, um, Christian church, has the Book of Enoch as deuterocanonical. These two books, Prayer, Manasseh, and there's a Psalm 151. Your Bible has how many psalms? 150, so there's, there's an extra one in the Greek Orthodox Church. They, they have these two writings as secondary to Scripture. And so they realize that there's questions about them. And so they have it um, labeled, I, I saw Josh has his Bible, where's Josh? He has his, his Bible, I think is uh, Greek Orthodox Bible that someone gave him. And so it's Old Testament, then it's Apocrypha, then it's New Testament. And in the Apocrypha section is both the prayer, prayer of Manasseh, this prayer of an Old Testament king, that got conquered by Assyria and prays out to God, a very short prayer. And then Psalm 151, which is a prayer of David after he killed Goliath. And there's questions about, well, why don't we have it in Hebrew then? Uh, And we just found it with the Dead Sea Scrolls uh, in Hebrew. So it's originally written in Greek, possibly and so it's like, did David actually write this? Or is it pseudepigraphous, uh, a false writer? Or is there just questions about it? But the, the Greek Orthodox Church thinks that it's sacred enough to call it secondary to scripture. And so as Protestants, we're just like, well, why bind it with this? You know, why bind it with the books that we say are canon? Why not just bind it up with the Twilight series or something? Like put it, I'm kidding. Um, put it, Put it, separate it from what is canon. Let's call this book that we call the Bible, holy and sacred, and not say, "Oh, in this Bible, there's there's uh, there's some books that are secondary to Scripture, and there's some books that are Scripture." It's like, no, let's put the secondary somewhere else. Um, very quickly, um, if you're really into this uh, whole idea of Deuterocanonical stuff, which which I've just been fascinated by this chart that I found on Wikipedia. Kind of a little, little embarrassed that I'm putting up a chart found on Wikipedia, of all things. But anyways, this at the top, I don't imagine you can read this. It's too small. This is just to get the ideas of what's going on. You could go look it uh, up for yourself. But across the top are all the different um, Christian churches, Protestant, Catholic, Greek Orthodox, uh, Armenian, uh, Coptic, Ethiopian Orthodox, um, et cetera, all the way across. And then down uh, on, the, on the up and down is list of books that are either in the bible or apocrypha a big a apocrypha little a books like genesis and so if you the first one is genesis everyone that that's a christian everywhere says yes genesis is canonical exodus same thing goes all the way down the first one there's prayer of manasseh and then the pink it says we as protestants do not hold it as canon the catholic church does not hold it as canon but these other churches they hold it as secondary to canon here's here's a here's a where it gets really colorful when you get into like the books of Tobit and Estrus and first and second Maccabees. And and so you look through the list and you're like, okay, these churches hold these, these other churches have different lists of what is canonical, um, what is in their canon, and our The Protestant church is on the left and we, by the way, here's a big generality that we can say, Um, we, we can say that we have the shortest list of canonical books. There is no book that we have that another church is questioning why that is in the Bible. And so I think that is pretty cool as Protestants, that, that for us, it's like better safe than sorry. Let's make sure our canon is the tightest canon, the most strict. Let's have other books, you know, bind them somewhere else. Let's call them what they are. They are secondary to scripture or they are non-canonical at all. And so our, our canon as Protestants, is the shortest of all canons. There's no book, as I said, no book that we have that another church is questioning and asking, oh, there's questions about that that book's sacredness. No, the, the books that we have, all other churches also say that the books we have are canonical. So I think that's kind of cool, and hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. So what are we talking about? What books are we talking about? I thought we we can't talk about all of them, but we can talk about a few of them here with the the rest of the month that we have left. And so today, I want to take a second and talk about this book that I I found and read this week. It is non-canonical. It's called The Acts of Peter. And so no one, non-canonical means no one in any of the churches um, mentioned uh, hold this book as canonical. That means no one holds it as sacred like the text of Scripture. So, Peter, the Acts of Peter. Supposedly, this was written um, maybe as late as 200 AD, so long after Peter had lived. And so maybe these are collections of stories about Peter. Is it sacred? Is it scripture? No, no one thinks that. We as Protestants don't think that. But maybe there's something we could uh, be interested in. Maybe there's something uh, that's, that is historical about these books. Maybe it's all just made up. We don't know for sure. Uh, we do not put our trust in the Acts of Peter like we do put our trust in the Bible. And, and by the way, we will talk about how we got the canon of Scripture maybe next week or the week after. If you were here last week, I told you that today we were going to talk about the history of the canon. And I lied to you. Sorry, but the reason, hopefully is a good one, that I thought with this lesson, we have five months. Let's take a step back before we take a step in. Uh, Let's talk more. Broadly, So we're going to talk about the Acts of Peter, and then we're going to talk about this big idea of the revelation of truth. So very quickly, this this very interesting book called the Acts of Peter is, of course, about Peter, um, the guy that denied Jesus, the guy that saw the resurrection of Jesus, the guy that, uh, with John, is in the book of Acts in a few different places. And supposedly, Peter... Is this great church leader, as recorded in the in the Acts of Peter, a non-canonical book? Um, And in the story, I thought it was really cool that Peter meets a dog, and then the dog starts talking to him, maybe like this YouTube video that you've seen. Um, And and the dog asks Peter, "Hey, Peter, what do you want me to do for you?" And Peter says, "Oh, go to Rome and tell Simon the sorcerer, Simon the magician, to flee." And so, supposedly. Simon, the, the same guy that's in Acts, is it chapter eight. Simon the magician becomes somewhat of a church leader. Goes to Rome and is 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 back to his old ways, and he's he's leading people astray. And so Peter tells this dog, "Go tell Simon to get out of there." Simon doesn't, and so Simon and Peter. It's this couple chapters uh, of this book, Acts of Peter, that that goes. It's like a WWE wrestling match between two, like, super spiritual Christians, and they're, like, doing different miracles and seeing who's better. Like, uh, Simon whispers into this guy's ear, and the guy drops dead, and then Peter comes over. He whispers in the guy's ear, and the guy's re- uh, resuscitated from the dead. And it's like, that's that'd be cool if that actually happened. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Maybe it's based on some story that was half true, and it became legendary? I don't know. As Christians, we, we, we just look at this book and say, That's, it is what it is. It, maybe this was written for entertainment value, like the Twilight series. Maybe this is the real deal. Maybe this was someone thought this was historically accurate, because they were gathering hi- history about who Peter was and things he did. But anyways, we just don't know, and we don't hold it as scripture, by the way, which I think I've already said a couple times. So, um, Then the book ends with the crucifixion of Peter, which is the cover of your skillet. It's Peter being crucified upside down. How many of you have heard that story before? Lots of us. And I've heard it before too. And I always hear the reason. And so this is going to be like a double confusion for you, I'm sure. Um, Confusion on top of confusion. Maybe like the inception of confusion. Um, But the the story people always say, and I've probably said this, like, oh, Peter was crucified upside down. Why? Why? Because he didn't think himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner Jesus was, and so he asked the executioners to crucify him upside down. How many people have heard that version of the story? Yeah, everybody. I've heard it. Um and, and so and and so It's just not, it's not the story that was actually written down um, in the Acts of Peter. So this is, this Acts of Peter is the earliest edition of this story. Um, Is it historical? We're not sure. So the whole thing might not even be true. But if it is true, let's at least get the facts right. Because this story is kind of anticlimactic. So it it says, Peter wants to be crucified upside down. It says this in Acts of Peter, section 37. It says, I beseech you executioners. Crucify me thus with my head downward and not otherwise. Why? Why? Because the first born human was born head down? What? It doesn't even make any sense. I guess it does. Like babies are born head down. And so like crucify me upside down. And so that just doesn't make a very good story, does it? you're like no the better story for story's sake is oh he's crucified upside down because he didn't he didn't think himself worthy enough to be crucified like Jesus that makes a better story and that story gets circulated even today we're still telling and retelling the story because half of you in this room raised your hand and said oh yeah i heard the version where peter gets crucified because he didn't think himself worthy enough to to um be crucified right side up but it's it's like that's not that's not historical because here's here's the actual data the 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 primary document, and we have it. And so if this whole story even is historical, that's the history. That's the actual story. And so um, are you confused? The inception of confusion, confusion within confusion? I see a thumbs up, which probably means, yeah, I'm confused. Or it means, yeah, you're okay. Either way, let's move on. So here's the big point. We have about 15 minutes left of Mills Sunday School. And this is really where I want to land the plane um, for talking about the big idea stuff in here. And so we talked about the Acts of Peter, whether it's historical or not, Not sure whether it's like sacred or not. Well, we know that it's not sacred. The early church did not think the Acts of Peter were sacred. Um, The the early Christians did not. And so it hasn't been passed on as sacred. Let's just take it for what it is and say this might be historical about Peter. It might not be. But either way, the book is not sacred. We should not hold it up um, to the light of of what is sacred and let it shine upon us figuratively and, and learn from it like we do the context of the 66 books that are in the Bible. So this big question, this, this how do we know what is true, um, is, is a great question. And it's, it's a really big question. I'm going to ask it for you and, and give you a couple seconds to, to think about how we know what is true um, as a discussion question. But I think uh, uh, this idea of like, okay, how do we know what's true? If I, if I announce that in this cup is coffee, how do you know that that is true? Well, there's a lot of ways to find out if that's true. Or what if I said, today is Sunday? You could look at me and be like, okay, I know that that's true, but how do I know that I know that that's true? Um, Even the coffee inside this cup. Or what if I say, there's a God who created the universe, and he loves you, and he sent his son, Jesus. It's like, okay, well, how do we know that that is true? I believe it is true. Uh, Many of you in this room believe it is true. You hold it as true. How do we know that something is true. And so I'm just, I just want to present that to you as a question, and then we're going to get, um, get to where we're going and hopefully land this plane in, in a really cool way and talk about the difference between the Bible and the Apocrypha. Um, but that's the discussion question. Take a couple minutes, uh, just jump right in, and, and li- maybe just list them. Maybe you have a list of 10, maybe you have a list of two, maybe just one. What are ways we can know something is true? Ready, get set, Discuss. All right, I'm sure if I asked you to yell out uh, things... You would yell out things like like when I asked, if I said, announced that there's coffee in this cup, well, how do you know that that's true? Well, you could come up here and you could look at it, and you could smell it, and you could drink it yourself and be like, yeah, duh, it's coffee. Or if it's Sunday, well, you could go to a text uh, called a calendar, and you could look at your calendar and say, oh, it's Sunday because we've established a calendar, and we could look at the the text that's a calendar and, and look at today and say, yeah, duh, we've decided as a human civilization, at least in the Western world that today is Sunday. Or the bigger idea is when, when we get to talking about philosophical truths. And, and by the way, we as Christians do say that there are things that are true and there's there are things that are false. We are not like very postmodern in our philosophy enough to say, oh, whatever's true for you is in fact true for you. And whatever's true for me is true for me. We'd say, no, There there is real things that are true. And if something is true, then the opposite would be false. And so just as a big idea. So how do we get to religious, philosophical truths. Well, there was a guy who lived um, a few years ago. His name is uh, John Wesley. Anybody recognize that picture? Seen John Wesley before? He's a pretty cool dude. He's like doing the what's up thing um, with his finger there. Anyways, and he's got a cool haircut. But he said this, uh, this uh, quote, and, and it's kind of like, well, how do we know what is true? Let's say that, that Jesus is God. Let, let's say that truth. Well, that truth is revealed in Scripture illuminated by tradition, vivified. Isn't that a cool word? Say it. Vivified, uh, which means just lived out uh, in personal experience and confirmed by reason. I'll read it again. Revealed in scripture, illuminated by tradition, vivified in personal experience and confirmed by reason. So how many points do you see there? Four. You see four points. so this is going to be what is called the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Anybody ever heard of it? It's a couple of people. Great. Um, and it's this really cool way. So I'm going to teach you right now with the, the five, ten minutes we have left of Sunday school. It's very brief, but it's this huge principle that if you get, you're just like, okay, I, I get this. It's, it, I, it's in my bones. I, I know something is true because it's Scripture. It's revealed in Scripture, illuminated by tradition. It's, uh, we could experience it, and we can confirm it by our reason. Um, and by the way, he also said that scripture is primary. So it's not like, oh, scripture is just one of the four. So let me put it up in chart form for you to see. So Wing, Wesleyan quadrilateral, here's truth. Here's what we can know is true. And, and as, as you see at the top now, it says Bible up there. That the best thing, the, the, the primary thing that we have to know what is true is the Bible. And we read the Bible as, as our canon. We read it, and that word means standard. We, we read it as the, the measuring tool for our life, our faith, our doctrine, uh, our, our actions, what we do, what we know to be true. We say the Bible is ultimately our source. And we'd also say tradition, or as, as we would probably say, the word community, that we can know what is true by the community that, that we experience it with. For instance, you might just kind of balk at it, and be like, "Wait, how do we how do we know what is true by our community?" Well, take for instance the the example of the word Trinity. Is the word Trinity in the Bible? No, it's not in there. Is the concept of the of Trinity in the Bible? I would argue, yes, clearly throughout uh, the New Testament, and you could see uh, images of it in the Old Testament that God is one. <clears throat> And one God, but three persons. But you have all, and I have learned that through community, through the, the church, the early church, uh, working through the text and saying, Jesus claims to be God himself. How do we deal with that? And then he says he's going to send someone like himself, the Holy Spirit. What do we do with that? How do we. And so the word Trinity is helpful and say, well, we believe in the Trinity, one God, three persons. And we got that through the community of early Christians, Christians today. Um, writing about it, thinking about it, looking at the text as primary, the scripture as primary, and then teaching out of it uh, what we have found. And so that's community. Uh, Some other people um, probably like this one a lot. And I like it a lot that we can experience what is true. If I hold up this cup of coffee and say there's coffee in it, some of you would say, Well, let me experience it. Let me taste it. And then, okay, yeah, it's coffee. I I experienced it. Same thing with spiritual truths. We could say, Oh, I believe in God. Oh, you do? Have you experienced Him? Many of you in this room would say, Yes, in some way I've experienced the God, the Creator, the Almighty, the God of the Bible. I've experienced Him and I have a testimony. And so we can know what is true by experience. And finally, the, the last one uh, reason we can think through we, we should not check our brains at the door. you know one of the big reasons we do the Mill Sunday School is because we believe we could study and, and worship God with our mind and come to conclusions that are rational about the, this belief that we have that there is a, a God, a creator of the universe that created us and loves us, and we could think philosophically about that and we could there 's proofs for the existence of God, for instance, and so if we take all of these things. What we should do is, is hang what we know to be true upon them. Receive the truth that we know from them. And the Bible would be primary community, experience, reason. And I just, just talked about this very quickly. But it's this idea of, of mainly, um, anyone know what this is? Anybody? It's a climbing bolt. Anybody? Did you recognize it now? For rock climbing? You can't really see it? Okay. But somebody in the back knew what it was. My friend Bobby knew what it was, so you should, he's in the very back. So anyways, it's a climbing bolt. They can hold 36 kilonewtons, which is 8,093 pounds. So that holds a lot. So when you're climbing, if you clip into one of these, you're safe. And so like the points of the quadrilateral, any, any one of them should be enough to be like, yeah, this is what is true. But when we have more than one, when, when you go up to a, a rock climb— Does anybody have a rock climb? This is Colorado. Okay, gosh, thank you— um, I thought you would all be right with me for this example. Uh, Obviously, you need to get out more. So, anyways... If you get up to the top of a rock climb, there will be bolts in the rocks, usually at a a sport route. And if there's two bolts, you're like, sweet, there's two bolts. And it's like, oh, we have the Bible and we have community working together that we could hang our lives on and know what is true. And if you get up to the top of a route and there's three bolts, it's like, oh, sweet, three bolts. Three bolts times 8,000 pounds each is like equalized would be like 24,000 pounds. Will that hold you? Yes, unless you weigh more than 24,000 pounds, it will hold you. You are safe, even though you're very far off the ground. And so when all four, if you imagine you get to a top of a rock climb, and there's four bolts up there, and you equalize them with ropes, okay, you are safe. You, you know that this is true because you have all four working together. The Bible is saying what the community is living out and you've experienced the power of it in your own life and you could think about it and reason through it and say, yes, while it may seem crazy to non-believers, it is reasonable to believe that God God did create the universe and he does care about us. And Jesus came to this earth and told us about himself that he claimed to be God. And so here we are with scripture at the top. The Bible would be at the top. And what I want to just kind of quickly point out is that Well, maybe the Apocrypha would fall under, in some loose ways, in some books. I mean, we'd we'd have to answer this question for the 250 little a apocryphal books that there are. But something like maybe the Acts of Peter that we just kind of talked about. We could put that under the community. That some, maybe a Christian wrote that book in the early century. Maybe he was trying to do his best, his due diligence, and collect stories about Peter. And he wrote them down. Um, And so we can learn about, you know... Peter and we can learn about early church history and what the Christians were reading then, and, and, and just think about that through the community and so I would put the Apocrypha under this this idea of community that, that the books that have been written down that have been handed down, but they 're not scripture and they 're not the authority they 're not primary because if we if we get down to it, this idea of deciding what truth is i 'm going to close with this idea that that we don 't just have an idea we have jesus himself saying that he was truth and this really cool distinction that jesus did not point to something and say um, that's truth he did not point to something and say oh that's the way he said himself i am the way and he said i am the truth and so we worship a god who came here as one of us <clears throat> and and we believe that this book we call it sacred we call it holy we call it scripture because, and this is the Bible, obviously, and we read it and we read the stories about Jesus and say, yes, Jesus did claim to be God. He did claim to be truth in and of himself. And so we hold that to be true. And so therefore this book is true because it's about him. And we would say that the whole thing, Old and New Testament, is like this revelation of what God has been doing and what God is doing. And we hold it as sacred. And and so that's, that's really where I wanted to land the plane this morning, that, that, ultimately, we put our trust in Jesus and the book that is about him. We'd say Jesus is God. And so this whole book, Old and New Testament, is about him. It's about Jesus, God. And we could put our faith in him. And so with that big idea, let's let's just uh, close your eyes. Let, let's pray. Let's, let's close in prayer right now. And Jesus, we do recognize your awesomeness that you are God, that you are true, that you, you don't just claim uh, to point to something else and say, I'll show you the truth, but you, you came as truth. You said you were truth. You said you were God. And God, we, we recognize that. We worship you totally. And we thank you for the text of scripture. We thank you that, that we have these books that we can trust in and call sacred and holy and inspired. So God, we worship you. We praise you this morning. We love you. And everybody said, amen. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming. We will see you next week with our continuation of the Apocrypha series. Thank you for listening to the Mill Sunday School podcast. You can find more information at www.themillonline.org.